It's Tuesday, March 30th, 2021. I'm Tanya Harris, and welcome to TMI Daily, your daily roundup of everything people are talking about online since they aren't allowed to talk about it in person. In an interview yesterday, the new head of the CDC, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, warned of, quote, impending doom if Americans don't continue to take health guidelines seriously in regards to COVID-19. Well, it's been a year of people not taking them seriously, so why should we start now? Come on in, doom. Here we are. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell urged all Republican men to get a COVID-19 shot, which is a first considering that guys like Mitch are usually telling women what they should do with their bodies. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis says he will ban coronavirus vaccine passports in the state. Well, at least there's one least less piece of ID they'll force black people to have if they ever hope to vote again. When law enforcement officers arrested him in his Dallas home, alleged Capitol rioter Garrett Miller was wearing a T-shirt that read, I was there, Washington, D.C., January 6, 2021. This will prove to be the first time a piece of outerwear was called to testify. Gee, I wonder if his wife was wearing an I'm with stupid T-shirt. Florida Congressman Matt Gates is considering not seeking re-election and instead joining conservative news and opinion network Newsmax. You gotta give him credit for wanting to take his public harm to a national level. The cast of the Disney Plus series Obi-Wan Kenobi was announced and production will begin soon. But thanks to the success of The Mandalorian and WandaVision, Obi-Wan isn't Disney's only hope. Um, that was a Star Wars reference? Some people got it, I'm sure. George R.R. Martin is reportedly developing a stage play prequel to Game of Thrones. Wow, if it wasn't already hard enough for these geeks to get late, now we're throwing in Broadway. Good luck, fellas. Sharon Osbourne will reportedly be paid between $5 million and $10 million to leave her show The Talk. Upon hearing this, former President Donald Trump said that if he knew he could have made that kind of cash, he would have said something subtly racist during the last four years. Jessica Simpson said that she tested positive for COVID-19 last year, which considering that it's Jessica Simpson might be the only test she's ever passed. Jimmy Fallon and Addison Rae are facing backlash after her appearance on The Tonight Show last week in which she performed several dance routines created by black choreographers without acknowledging their work. To be fair, Addison probably didn't realize anyone would want to be mentioned in connection with Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show. Now, let's send it over to tonight's TMI Daily cast and crew roundtable. Stay safe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of TMI Daily. I'm Veronica Ayello, and as always, I'm joined by some of my TMI Daily crew. In a few minutes, we're going to be joined by comedian Martin Montana, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Let's go around and say hello to everyone watching at home or listening to our TMI Daily podcast. Let's start with you, Pete. Well, now that the uh, the news of um, Matt Gates being under investigation for having a, a sexual relationship with a 17-year-old girl came out, I have to apologize to him for all those jokes I made about him and his pool boy. They're probably not true. Wait, they're investigating him? Oh, yeah, him? yeah, since since um, since last yeah. year. So it actually was under Trump's um, Justice Department that they started investigating him. But it's okay because 
It, he says it has nothing to do with him. It has to do with another guy that he's friends with that he took to the White House who was involved in a sex trafficking um, syndicate. So not not him. he's completely safe. He and just, he just brought a sex Gates, trafficker to the White House. And we know everything Matt Gates has to be true. Says this has to be true. Yeah, it's on to you. Hi, everyone. Listening on Google Podcasts and a very happy National Walk in the Park Day. I hope that you guys got outside and take a walk in the park. If you haven't, why don't you go out and do it? It's really great, especially here in L.A. when we have one of the largest city parks in the entire world. And it's beautiful. But wait till the end of the show, though. Don't do it until after. Oh, no. If you're listening to us on the podcast, what a great way. Go take a walk and listen to us. But then it's a day late. Oh, my God. Look out. That's a squirrel. (laughs) Well, at least we know it probably won't be raining them all. Uh, Hello, I'm coming to you live from my new top secret location. Mm. My new apartment. Lens flare! Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of lens flare. There's a little bit of echo because it turns out I really own a lot of furniture. So I need to get some rugs and a couch. Is is this the list of the housewoman gift? Yes. Elizabeth, if anyone wants to donate any money towards your living room furniture cost, where can they donate it to? Uh, at my Venmo, which, um, hang on, I think I'm getting a call from Spectrum. <laughs> Fix my fucking internet, Spectrum. If <laughs> uh, you, you want to vent, <laughs> no, I'm not going to. Live drama it's unfolding. Just, it's just confirming that I have an appointment for them to stick around with my router tomorrow. Anyway. the Spectrum guy on. It's nearly the Spectrum guy. <laughs> Explain yourself. Uh, you can Venmo me at Elizabeth Stanton 86. That's capital letters on the first and last name there. Okay. You made it simple. Um, and today we have Danny joining us. Hi, Danny. Hello, everybody. It's also National Doctors' Day, so props to the doctors who are just uh, part of the medical force, um, medical workforce that has done a lot of great things this past year. So thank you. Is that like a doctor's waiting room uh, from the south in your background? No, it's a living room. I'm just a simple <laughs> country doctor slash lawyer. A simple living room. That's my living room, man. <laughs> and Ian. Hi, greetings uh, from my bedroom. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay, so let's start tonight's show. So we're opening tonight's show with a special guest. Our guest tonight, Martin Montana, is a stand-up comedian, host, and actor whose quick wit and ability to adapt any situation has led him to hosting celebrity sports shows, being the voice of Shock Top Beer for over four years, and doing stand-up at national sporting events, as well as headlining comedy clubs around the country. Please welcome Martin Montana. Hi, Martin. How are you? Hey, what's happening? How are you? We're doing well. How are you? How's everything going with you? Good? <laughs> yeah, everything's going good. You know, uh, first of all, you're very prompt. Okay. You said be ready. And I mean, you got me in right away. But I have to admit, I thought to myself, like, how long would I wait in the Zoom on deck circle? You know what I mean? Like, like if you ran long, like, I mean, obviously I was going to wait, but everybody's got a cutoff. I was like, I think I would wait till like almost 630, to be honest. Like, I might have sat there in the dark and been like, I don't know, maybe they got something going on, you know? So it's good to be here. I'm, I'm glad that we're on schedule. Yes. No. And again, thank you so much for joining us. And yeah, I had my eye on the clock. So I was like, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not o'clock. known for very much else other than being prompt. 
It works. Yeah, we're not like we're not like Carson. You don't get bumped on this show. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> it may not be good, but it'll be on time. <laughs> so, Martin, I have a few questions for you, and then I'm going to open it up to our panel. So, we were going through your website, and something interesting caught our eye. Can you explain to our audience what a sports comedian is and how you happen to be one of them? I'll answer the second part first. Uh, by accident, kind of. Um, so I've been doing stand-up since 2007. And uh, that's what I've been doing the longest. And then all these other things started branching off, voiceover. More recently, the hosting stuff, the work in Vegas. Um, and that show, the Renegade show in Vegas, which was a sports-themed show, was basically like a celebrity athlete show. That's what kind of got some things going because, I mean, I just in general, like, I like watching sports. I'm a sports guy. I'm into it. Um, I like betting on sports. I mean, it's, it's all just uh, like recreation for me. So when I found work doing something affiliated to that, I was like, wow, this is, uh, it doesn't feel like work. So yeah, I just, I just kept pursuing different things. And um, when I do stand up, like I don't, I don't, you know, do an hour talking about sports by any means, but, um, but I just started finding things and opportunities and shows and events to host and, you know, popping on TV a little bit, um, just doing sports bits and stuff like that. So that's kind of how it happened. And uh, I'm going with it. I'm sticking with it. Mm-hmm. So speaking of your show, Renegades, that was actually my next question. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you hosted the show with sports legends like T- uh, Terrell Owens and um, Jose Canseco. How did it actually come about? And what is it like doing a show at a Vegas hotel? Yeah, um, it, well, so how it came about, basically, I was, uh, I've was i been in LA, I think, maybe six years. So I'm originally from the East Coast, but I was in New York City before I moved here. And so when I got here, one of my goals, priorities was to just get something going in Vegas. Like, I don't know. I just, I was like, they have all these big shows there. I want to be a part of it somehow, some way. So I didn't have like some detailed plan, but I did make it a point. I would go out there a lot. Um, a lot of times just to meet people, like I didn't really have anything to pitch. I wasn't, you know, like I wasn't like with a deck or so, Hey, how you, you know, could, you know, I had nothing really, but I just wanted to meet people kind of see like what the scene was. And um, after, you know, honestly, like probably like a couple of years of trying to do that, like it started leading to some things little by little. And um, then I got connected to some people at Caesars and randomly, then one of the times I was there, you know, in conversation, it was sort of like, hey, do you like sports? And I was like, yeah, actually, I do. Um, and then from there, I went to an audition and, and the whole thing. And that's kind of kind of how it came about. So, yeah, it was great. I mean, we were at Caesars Palace. That show was uh, four nights a week. It was a live show. Wow. Yeah. So I was commuting. Uh, I didn't move there. I would I would go there for four days. I'd come home to L.A. for three days, uh, you know, rinse and repeat. But um it was good. My wife didn't leave me and uh, I, <laughs> the show was a lot of fun. It's a lot of Vegas time. So I will say as someone who like has just been to Vegas normally. Right. And you know, you know how it is and how people are there. It's crazy. Um, it's different when it's like 7 PM and you're walking like through the madness to work, to like get to the showroom and you, and then you like through like a sober lens, you really see like how everybody, <laughs> you know, like, eight yeah. yard glasses and then uh, like, and you're just like, wow, that's, this is what happens here, you know? Um, but it was great. I mean, I had so much fun working there and working with those guys and uh, yeah, it was like a dream come true. I mean, we would work, we would do the show, 90 minute show and then uh, hang out. I mean, I would, I would, uh, you know, like have a Coors Light with Jim McMahon every night. I mean, it doesn't, that's it's a pretty good deal, you know? 
That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you also play the voice of an orange slice in commercials for Stock Top. Let's play something from one of the commercials. So I think we have a video. Hey, okay. Right there, ready. TJ, over here. What's up, man? Shock Top. I like your style. You look like you're on a cleanse that doesn't work. Oh, really? You're <laughs> awfully sassy for someone without a torso. I feel like you peaked in middle school. And you're a citrus snowboard instructor? You look like an out-of-work magician. It's a hobby. Do you even have eyes under there? I got a movie idea for you. Okay. This loser walks into a bar. Hmm. Okay, it's called Right Now. <laughs> Touche. With something like this, were you actually writing the jokes? And also, I have to ask, does T.J. Miller know what's being said about him when he films his part? <laughs> um, so, okay, so the deal with the Shock Top uh, campaign, which was amazing, 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 was that uh, most of it was improvised. And and the way it started um, was truly improvised, meaning like hidden camera shoots in a real bar in Canada. And they basically were like, hey, just riff, like have fun, make fun of people, not don't be like too mean, whatever, you know. But the whole vibe of this thing is like, we're just not really going to talk about product. He's just like this wisecracking uh, orange slice with a, with a mohawk. <laughs> um so when we got to that, that spot, that was the Super Bowl ad that we had a few years back. So that was like a big deal, of course. And for that one, um, we definitely had stuff written once, like what would happen a lot of these shoots is once I knew like what just the general theme was, I would prepare because of course, like I don't want to run out of stuff. I love to just let it fly and go loose, but like, I'm sure you guys know how it is. Like after so many hours, it's like you can run out of some stuff. So I would always have some things prepared. TJ came with stuff prepared, but like halfway through that, we literally camped out in the trailer and we're just like, let's just go through more. Cause it just turned into like a roast, right? It was just like, he's going to roast Wedgehead. I'm going to roast him. And yeah, we would just like come up with stuff in the breaks and, uh, and then even on the fly, uh, it was hard just not to like step all over each other, you know? Cause you're like, you're like kind of like doing it real time. Like I was just around the corner. So they would record me live and, and him live. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, it was fun, you know, it was just like, try not to laugh and, uh, and just come up with whatever insane thing you can, you can say to each other. Yeah. It's such a fun commercial. It really is. <laughs> hey, thank you. So as a stand-up comic, we have a lot of friends who are stand-up comics. And one of the things that, you know, we have all learned this past year is that they haven't been able to do comedy shows and they've gotten creative in their ways that they're doing, you know, shows. The other day, Pete and I were at the beach and there was actually a comedy show happening um, at the beach. So what have you been doing this past year as a stand-up comic or have you found any creative ways to do your shows? Well, I, I quit doing stand-up. Uh, no, that's, I'm just kidding. Um, you nodded. <laughs> You nodded. You're like, of course you did. That's a good call. Um, you know, so I got to be honest, like I'm, I was a little hesitant on the whole zoom comedy thing. I just stand up to me. It's, it's the live art form. I need the audience. I want the audience. I want to, I want to look at them and talk to them and everything. But I did, I did some, I did a, a college show over zoom, uh, not too long ago. It was, I got to say that it was still kind of weird. Um, like, I mean, you know, we have a natural flow cause we're like talking to each other, but yeah, when you're doing stand up, I mean, I literally talked to this webcam for 60 minutes and most of the kids, most of them, I, 80% were completely videoed out. So I just saw a name with, you know, black screen, white letter name, and maybe two of them 
had their faces going, or, you know, a couple, and everybody was muted. So I could hear no laughs. Mm-hmm. I just would see some faces kind of doing this, you know. It was just weird. It was like doing stand-up, like, by yourself, for yourself. Um, so it was kind of weird. But, yeah, some other things have come out of uh, the whole COVID thing, because you do, you have to get creative. You got to think about other things. I was I was able to um, film, like, a, a pilot a comedy sort of comedy uh, special pilot type situation where sort of like showcase format, bunch of comics doing like 15, 20. Um, but that was filmed at somebody's house, like the producer's house. He set up his back patio with like a tiki bar, almost looking like an outdoor comedy club. It was pretty cool. Uh, and so we filmed the whole thing and now, you know, they're out, out pitching it, whatever, but um, some fun stuff like that. And honestly, it's made me really think about uh, getting creative too, with other corporate type gigs Mm-hmm. and uh, some other stuff that I'm like kind of working on behind the scenes. So it's good. You know, I mean, we're all in the same boat, right? You got to make the most of uh, whatever's going on and just, yeah, make it, uh, make it work for you, even though it was pretty brutal. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, a whole calendar gets wiped out and you're just like, man, you know, uh, hard to travel, but, uh, but it's good. Yeah. There's, there's been some good stuff going on. Yeah. That's interesting. What you said about the zoom, um, you know, a couple of months back, I was talking to a good friend of ours, Grant Cotter, on the stand-up and he was telling me about the whole zoom thing how he just can't you know bear himself to do stand-up you know via zoom he's like i just need to feed off of that energy so hearing you say it as well yeah it, it makes perfect sense um i have one final question for you then i'm going to open it up to everyone um do you think that audiences are going to go right back to going to stand-up shows or do you think it's going to take a while for people to go into these crowded rooms what, what are your thoughts on that Oh man, I don't think, well, we're just talking about the country in general. Yeah, Yeah, just in general. Just the whole shebang, the whole country. All right. So I'm predicting fall slash peaking into winter vaccine, you know, most, most hopefully, you know, people vaccinated and all that. I think it's just going to boom, boom, boom back. I think Mm -hmm. the pent up energy like, I just feel like people, yeah, I don't think they're going to be too much hesitation once people feel like it's safer to do it, whatever that word means. Right. But um, yeah, I think it's going to come back, come back pretty strong. Yeah. Because I've seen people who have been doing stand-up com- um, comedy shows in the other, you know, other parts of the country, not mm-hmm. here in California, obviously um, like Dave Chappelle had that the Dave Chappelle and friends and they were packing those places. So yeah. I can, I can assume, you know, once most people are vaccinated and everything kind of goes back to some kind of normalcy, I think people are going to want to go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to that point too, it's like, I look, I love sports, but if you're, if you're going to let in 10,000 people and even though you're going to keep them spread apart, like that's still 10,000 people walking through the same doors and all that type of stuff. It's like, you're kind of doing it anyways. What's 200 people at a comedy club. So, you know, yeah, I I think, I think it's going to come back pretty fast. Yeah, no, I, I think so, too. Okay, so let me open it up to the panel. Does anybody have any questions for Martin? Let's start with you, Pete. Hey, Martin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, so I have two questions. Uh, first question, I know, I know you said you didn't like doing the, the Zoom comedy, but when you, when you know you're going to do something like that, do you tailor your material, material at all so that it like, kind of fits that, you know, th- this kind of like world as opposed to being in front of an audience? Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. So I, I literally was like mentally prepared to talk to nobody because, and and I was like, sort of right. Like, I didn't know they'd all mute their mics. Like that's completely unnecessary, but I was like, let's imagine worst case scenario. I was talking to myself. I'm like, they're just muted. They, whatever, whatever. 
you still have to perform. You still got to do a good job. You still have to, you know, give it your best. Right. So, uh, yeah, I was like, as I, as I prepared that set, uh, cause it was going to still going to be a full hour. So I was like, okay, um, there's no crowd work. You know, a lot of times, like if I do stand up, like I, I do like doing it, but I like it when it just happens. I don't, I'm not like as much with prepared questions or, or whatever, but there are some bits I have where there's some good spots in there to maybe open it up. And if they want to play, we can play. And if not, no big deal. Right. But I won't even bother because I know it's over zoom. So I shut all that out and I, you know, definitely prepared some stuff about COVID and what's been happening, all that. Uh, But yeah, I was like, dude, you just got to be prepared to like talk, 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 talk. And uh, there's nothing, there's not going to be any interaction. So I I was prepared, you know, thankfully. (laughs) So my, my second question, you kind of sort of answered it, but uh, I figure I'll ask anyway. So when you're when you are back in front of an audience, do you see yourself doing any COVID humor in the in there mixed in? Or is that something that once this is over, we probably just should stop talking about? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe yes to that second part. So, I mean, honestly, like, I guess time will tell, like, uh, as we go through it. But um, I've got I've got some perspective on it of course but honestly the biggest thing for me is uh my wife we you know we had a baby i, I got an eight-month-old daughter now she was born last okay. july i mean so that's that's like my new stuff that's just like ready to come out because i mean it's just non-stop life experience that uh every day is something going on so mm-hmm. i would get i would bet i'm gonna have a lot more to say about that maybe a, you know a couple of things about covid um but yeah I, I, i'm with you it's kind of like a dark time maybe we're like we all, maybe we all just agree, like, no more talking about that. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yanni? It's funny you say that because my question was going to be, now, becoming a new dad, has that opened up a whole new world of, you know, comedy that you didn't really, you know, know before? Yes. Yes, it has. Uh, because it's like, you know, it's funny. It's like uh, when you think about comedy, sometimes – I know I've, I've thought about this sometimes. I'm like, oh, you, you want to try to do something like no one's done. Or you're like, oh, how can I talk about something that, you know, par- you know, parenting has been done so many times. But then when it happens to you, then you're like, well, no, 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 no. I've got, I've got things happening to me that are like real and hilarious. And I need to talk about this. So it does get your, get your gears going. Cause you're like, yeah, this is, uh, this is my version of it, right? Like it's all new to me. I have no idea what we're doing here, but uh, we're doing our best. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot to talk about for sure for for many years. Who would you say are some of your biggest um, comedic influences? That's a good question. Um, so I will say I'm just a huge general fan of stand up comedy. Uh, like I'll date myself, but when uh, when Comedy Central first started. And I was a real, real little kid. And if you, if anybody remembers, it was the program, there was no programming. It was literally just stand up comedians. That's all they would play. That's all they had. Right. And I could watch that for hours. So even like younger, younger, I was like kind of obsessed with just like, wow, how do they do that? That's amazing. So my influences are wide range because I almost just like have a respect for someone who's good in their category or in their style as opposed to like being like, I only like this style. So I give you this long speech to basically say like, of course, people like Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr. But then I start like crossing over to when I was like younger. And I'm like, I, I love David Cross, you know, that like angry, smart guy. 
uh, Pablo Francisco, like the voices, George Lopez, like the family cultural. I just, all these people that I would watch and be like, they're just so good at what they're doing that I love it. Um, and you know, more recently, like I had a chance years, years ago, I worked with Sebastian Maniscalco, of course, is now like huge, 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 um, just anybody who's really good in their, in their world. Uh, I like it. I love it. I love watching them. Joe. So, um, by the way, thank you for coming on the show. I'm really happy you're here. Uh, what's the status on the Vegas show? Is that going to ever happen again? Or is that happening? And then, I mean, because you got the Raiders in town now, that's comedy gold. And then my other question real quick is like, what's it like in sports? What's, what's the thing that like, it's easy comedy. What, what's the easy thing to do? Like, I like, like teams change all the time. I mean, I know like I was a Buccaneers fan. So for years you were probably making jokes and now it's like, <laughs> um, but you know, so like what, but what's like your easy go-to with that? And then what's the status on the show? Okay. So Status on the show is uh, there is still possibility uh, that we that we come back in, uh, which would be amazing, right? But um, I think we all know how it works. It's like until it's signed, sealed, delivered, right? Like I'm it, probably until like contracts are done, I'm physically there, and we're like halfway through the the next show. I'll, then I'll like believe it. You know what I mean? Just because as artists, we're always like, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Um, but there is possibility. And and yes, I completely agree with you. Having the Raiders right there. Like, I don't know if you've seen where the stadium is. I mean, it's yeah. literally across the bridge, across from the Rio. I mean, awful idea, by the way, to put a stadium where you're going to have 50,000 drunk people all literally. There's only one way back across. They're going to walk that all that bridge. Right. You know what I mean? Like, And you know they're drunk, the Raiders fans. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah, it's like. It's like, dude, just how many fights are going to happen? Just set up like, a, you know, a jail, right? There. Anyway, so um, that's going to be crazy. I mean, in terms of material, so I'm with, I'm with you. So I'm a, I'm a now called Washington football team fan, <laughs> lifelong fan, okay? Uh, our last Super Bowl was 1991. So when I was little, we were amazing. And then that's it. It's been, it's been nothing. Uh, so I, Material, honestly, like it's kind of whatever's going on because if sports is so like current events, you know, like it comes and goes, it fades so fast. So you could do some nostalgia stuff. I know in the, in the renegade show, I would do some jokes about like collecting baseball cards. Cause you know, I thought it'd be worth a lot of money and they're not. Um, but yeah, I think just whatever's timely going on is the best stuff for that, for that audience. Cause they're, if they're into it, they, you know what I mean? They probably, they're, they're watching more than me. So like just hit them with what's, what's on the top of the page. Awesome. So, Martin, you have time for one more question. I know we're yes. trying to get done by 6.30. Okay, yeah. go ahead. Oh, sorry, I did not realize. No, okay. you're, that you're, was, uh, was real fast. Yeah, I've also done Zoom stand-up, but it is so weird and so disconnected. Like, But that's not my question. Um, I was going to ask, what are your favorite teams? Um, I'm not a sports person at all, but I'm from Michigan, so I do root for Detroit. And, yeah, Lions, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, Michigan's going to be playing tonight. I hope you're watching. Um, so you're like, <laughs> you're like, I'm not, I shouldn't have even said that. I should. Um, I can't believe I'm the one who asked what are your favorite sports teams? Cause so at least, was, sport, so at least sporting in, uh, individual. I know that's funny. And I do agree with you. I'm still getting adjusted with zoom as, as a comedy form, not as a podcast interview, yeah, none of that, yeah. but comedy, just like doing stand up comedy. Um, so for, so my teams are, are split between, basically DC area 
and then the Boston area. So I was, I was born in Virginia, okay. but we moved around a lot. We moved to Connecticut. Um, then after college, I was in Boston. So I'm Washington football team on the Capitals for hockey, but then I go up and I'm Red Sox and Celtics. And, you know, a lot of people used to give me like a lot. A lot. I was going to, I don't know if we can swear, so I'm not going to. Well, yeah, you sure can. A lot of people give me a lot of shit for that. And I, I used to be like, you know, when you'd like defend it and be like, I can, you know, but I moved and I would like give them my timeline of like where I live. And then you get to be a grown man and you're like, dude, I can pick whatever, you know, whatever wrestler I want to root for. It's all entertainment. <laughs> I'm allowed to root for whoever I want to root for. So I do not care anymore. But yeah, I'm completely split like that yeah. between Boston and, uh, and D.C. That's my brother's situation because we're from Michigan, but we lived in New Hampshire where I was born for a bit. And he got hooked into Red Sox Nation and then came back to Michigan and has been like the lone Red Sox person yeah. in Southeast Michigan his whole life. Yeah, there's a, when you leave the bubble of those like hardcore, granted, a lot of the teams travel well and there's other good pockets, but yeah, it could be like, you know, imagine going Boston to New York. It's like, forget it, you know, unless you want to just constantly argue with people, just you kind of like keep it to yourself. Okay. Well, Martin, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciated it. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you guys so much. And I saw this was season two, episode 10. Congratulations. You're already in a second season. You're like, you're killing it. Yeah, this is, wait, and this is our 200 and what show? 243rd, I think, in one show. year. Yeah, well. That's you know, amazing. Hop all around. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's great. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun, guys. And uh, and congrats thanks on all the shows. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Martin. Thanks, Martin. Have a good Thank night. Thank you. Bye. Okay, so let's move on now to our main story. Last Friday night, TikTok star Addison Rae went on The Tonight Show to promote her debut single, Upset, and ended up landing herself and the show into a controversy. Let's take a quick look at some of what went on. It looks so dumb outside of TikTok. That wasn't very quick. (laughs) It's it's so much better on TikTok, isn't it? It really is better. I don't know who this woman is. Who is this person? Yeah, I don't know who she is either. May may I? I? Yes, please. May I explain who she is? Yes. Yes. Go ahead, Elizabeth. So she's a TikTok star. Look at that. Um, A TikTok star. 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 Yeah, around that, you know. (laughs) Using that term real loosely. Um, and she got famous for doing those dances. Um, I think to the actual songs. I don't know. I don't think they yeah, had the rights to all the songs. They were using the songs. So, so that obviously throws things off and makes it seem even weirder. But then, yeah, you only have to watch a minute of it at a time on TikTok. So, yeah, it probably looks really good in one, if you only watch her do it for one minute. Um 
Yeah, I think they do like vloggy type stuff too. But anyway, she got famous for being a cute white girl who can kind of dance. But when you think about it, not that great. Especially people have put the side by side of her and the creators of the dances. The creators are fucking amazing. Like real musicality and rhythm. And she's like, she's robotic. It's so weird. Is is she claiming... That well, she made these things? No. Oh, really quick, She's guys, never... kind of jumping ahead. Can we, like, let's Oh, sorry. Okay. No, 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 okay. And, Joe, we're actually going to talk about that. So, first of all, this caused a controversy for her and also for The Tonight Show. So, can anyone tell me why this was so controversial or what the controversy was? Pete, go ahead. Well, I, I mean, it comes down to the fact that she went on The Tonight Show. She did eight different dance routines from eight songs that are done by black artists and the choreography was created by black choreographers. And she never, she never um, gave credit to, the, to any of the choreographers, nor did the tonight show. And then when it got brought up a day later, then all of a sudden the tonight show came back and they tweeted out the names of all the choreographers, but they kind of forgot that they did the same things like six months ago with the other big TikTok star, Charlie D'Amelio, um, where they did the exact same routine because Jimmy Fallon is such a creative genius that they have to do the same thing over and over again. And so, um, but they broke, don't fix and, it. And, and strangely enough, that time they didn't give the, uh, the names of the uh, choreographers either. Uh, but I'm sure now that they've re- you know, retroactively added all that information to their, their t- old tweets. Um, but yeah, no, they, so, so basically what's happening is it's, it's kind of the age old argument that there's, here's a, a white woman of privilege um, who's, who's making money off of the fact that, off of hard work of a, of a black artist. Um, and so, and it, and it's just kind of turned into this to this privileged th- conversation again, and how how it is that uh, like you can get away with doing this and and neither give credit towards or money towards the people that actually kind of did the things to get you to where you are. Okay, so all she does then is the choreography of other people. She doesn't yeah, yep. do her own dance moves or anything like that. Yep. Okay. So then, um, like you said, Pete, yes, the Tonight Show, after they received a lot of backlash, they actually tweeted a list of the original choreographers who created eight dances that she did. So did she do the whole all those eight dances in that clip that we just I saw? Think so. Yeah. yeah. Really? Okay. so yesterday, TMZ caught up with Addison to ask her about the controversy. Let's watch. Some people were upset that the uh, creators, that the black creators of some of those dances from the Jimmy Fallon skit weren't credited Initially, um, do you, and Jimmy later on came out and credited them, but how do you feel about the way it was all handled? Um, I think they were all credited in the original um, YouTube posting, but it's kind of it's kind of hard to credit during the show. But right. they all know that I love them so much, and um, I mean I support all of them so much, and um, hopefully one day we can all meet up and dance together. Do they, Addison? Do they? So, like, I think, who was it that mentioned? Was it Pete or you, Elizabeth, that the other TikTok star, Charlie D'Amelio, whatever? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Pete brought up Charlie D'Amelio. 
So, um, so her, okay, so her and this girl, sorry, what's this girl's name again? I don't know who these people Addison, are. Addison, Ray. Okay, they performed something um, called the Renegade Dance at the 2020 NBA All-Star Game, but the original choreographer, Jalea Harmon, was not involved and credited, and credited, and when that was brought up to Addison's attention, she posted on Instagram that it was okay because Jalea actually taught her the dance routine. So Addison Ray, this chick, has 70 million followers on TikTok and earns roughly $15,000 per sponsored social media post. So this gets into our bigger question now. If a musician does someone else's song, they have to pay royalties to the writer of the song. Should someone who makes a living off of dance videos have to pay the original choreographers? Who wants to, uh, Ian, let me hear what you have to say. Oh, man. I mean, like, this is just so indicative of white mediocrity being rewarded. I mean, <laughs> I mean, and of course, she's also on Jimmy Fallon, which really just is like the icing on the cake. It's, it's like but, the ultimate of white mediocrity. I mean, it's like game recognizes game. Am I right? But <laughs> here's the deal. Like, yeah, they, she should be paying. She's not going to. It's never going to happen. These people are going to get fucked. They've been getting fucked for decades. I mean, they've been fucked since, like, black people came up with rock and roll music it's just unfortunately we're in a fucked up society where white mediocrity is 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 championed and these black people can create these dances and nobody will pay any attention to them and then a pretty white girl does it and she's got a million hits i've looked at tiktok that's pretty much how it works i don't know how to fix that she should be paying them especially when she's like well you know i did their dances but i love she, they know i love them i'm like well they fucking pay them you love them that much, pay them. No, no, food. she loves them. So right, exactly. She pays them an exposure. <laughs> yeah, she they have paid you. That's the best part. She, yeah, by the way, by the way, I love I love Dave, Dave Chappelle. So I'm going to be doing his best jokes on an eight minute set uh, this Friday. <laughs> this Friday, yeah. Daddy. Oh yeah, to just give credit where credit is due. You know, being a choreographer when I was at the school and putting on all these different sorts of dances. I learned from stuff online and I would give credit. If it was inspired by Janet Jackson, I would say this, you know, this routine inspired by Janet Jackson. You just got to give credit, you know, where it belongs to. And this situation actually reminded me of bring it on where, um, Oh, the the Clovers were going over to East Compton Clovers and stealing their routines and then bringing them back, you know, to Rancho Grand, um, Carne, Rancho Carne and doing them. You know, not as good, you know, but still, you know, they were the ones getting all the awards and trophies and accolades for them while the East Compton Clovers were not, you know, because they were a poorer school that didn't have the funds to go compete. So don't tell I us think, the ending, know, Danny, please. I didn't. A, it's a 21 year old movie. Yeah. I've, never, I've never seen it and I don't think I ever will. Oh, it's actually really good. good. It's actually I, pretty I, good. Think you, oh, I know it's something you think you might hate, but it's actually really good. I was yeah. on board and then I watched it. It's good. <laughs> Kirsten Dunst. You can't go wrong with her. Yeah. You yes, you can. <laughs> but no, I, I give credit where credit's due. Okay, Pete, and then I'll go to Elizabeth. Go ahead, Pete. Well, I mean, a couple of things. Firstly, when she made the comment in the TMZ video that she thinks it get, it, that they were credited on the YouTube video, what she was actually saying was on the Tonight Show's YouTube video, because I went and looked today on her TikTok, she doesn't credit anybody for any of the things she does on, on her videos. She's, she's basically doing this and getting paid. She's gotten, I think it's almost 3 billion um, views on her videos in total um, over the last few years. And again, not to say anything, you know, anything bad against her because good for her that she could do that. But at the end of the day, 
you know, there, there is, there, I mean, this is a, a tricky place because there's probably never been a reason to say, well, oh, you know, somebody's dance routines can be monetized by somebody else because it just never really happened before. But I imagine if like, say, you know, probably from in my mind, the biggest um, choreographer of all time went on to becoming a director would be Bob Fosse. Um, but I'm pretty sure nobody went and, and, and step for step took one of his, his routines from any of the shows that he choreographed and then put it on stage and then didn't give him credit for it. So, I mean, in that sense, I think that definitely, you know, there's 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 a reason why she should be paying uh, for it. I mean, you know, this, this argument goes back for a thousand years because, you know, I mean, some of you may be old enough to remember that like Madonna um, had the same problem in 1980, I think it was 89 when she did Vogue uh, because of the fact that that came out of like um, like gay gay black clubs for the most part. Yeah, the bar and, All the bar and stuff, yeah. 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 And she and she, you know, to her credit said, yeah, this is where I got it from. But, you know, at the point in time when that song came out, it was already kind of a, like it wasn't a thing any longer. Um, and so it wasn't that big a deal. But this this girl is actively making money off of these people. And one of the problems that, you, that they're going to have is that, like, the choreographers aren't going to say a thing about it because because what's happening is she's putting these songs in her videos and they're getting zillions of views. And so if all of a sudden, like one of his choreographers calls her out and says, oh, you know what, I, she should, I should be getting paid for this. Then whoever the artist that's behind them in those songs, probably not going to use them again because, because she can get them blackballed if she really wants to, because she's got a lot of power now. So yeah, the girl who, um, you know, who um, was in, who was in that vid, the renegade uh, dance that they did at the, uh, the NBA all-star game, she came out and said, you know what, I really didn't want to bring up any, anything about it because you know, there's just so much negativity in the world, which is her way of saying, I don't want to get blackballed by somebody who can probably get, you know, keep me from getting more. That's some gaslighting bullshit right there. Elizabeth, go ahead. I don't have much to add because I've already touched on, you know, all the points I'd I'd make as well. Yeah, it's it's white mediocrity, as Ian so perfectly put it. Um, Capitalizing on, you know, black culture and just the fact that, you know, when black people and black artists originate these dances or these songs or what have you, it's looked down on, but the second a white person does it, suddenly it's the greatest thing since sliced white bread. Am I right? Like it's the best thing ever. And, and then, the, then when people get called out on it, they're like, well, it's just cause I like it so much. And I just want to do, but you're not given any money first of all, which is the biggest thing. And then it's, it's a situation of, a white person doing it is praised. If a black person is doing the same dance or music or art or whatever, they're demonized for it. Like it comes down to hairstyles and things like that. Like everyone praises, you know, the Jenners for like the boxer braids. A black girl's wearing the same braids. It's ghetto. It's trashy. It's bad. Jenners or Kardashians or a white girl's doing it. Like, Oh my God, that's such a cute style. We should all do that. It's ridiculous. And we're asking, you know what? And that's a really good point that you just made because we're going to talk a little bit about that too. That I want to kind of talk. Oh, okay. Sorry, about. I, I do not mean no, to no, no, because it's true. Like you know, we need to differentiate between you know cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. But yeah. I'm going to save that for a few minutes. So uh, my next question, and Elizabeth, I kind of like already know how you feel about this, but I kind of want to ask everybody else on the panel: Would this be a bigger issue? Would it? Would, it, would this still be a big issue? I should say, is if these choreographers were white that these white girls were profiting off of these white choreographers or is it because they are black choreographers? What do you guys think about that? Um, Ian. 
I don't think it would be as big an issue, but it speaks to a larger issue of that art isn't valued. And I think you see mm-hmm. that with corporations stealing designs for clothing from small artists and, mm-hmm. you know, just people ripping off artists or not paying artists for their work. And I think it's, yeah, it wouldn't be as, I don't think it would be as big of an uproar because it's, there's not, you're not ripping off people that have already been ripped off for centuries, yeah. but you know, it's still a, it's still an issue of people not really valuing uh, the creator and what they've created. They just take it and do whatever they want with it. You know? Joe. Um, maybe not in the media. Maybe we wouldn't see as much of it in the social media, but would we see more of it in a legality point of view? Mm. Would a, would a white choreographer be able to get legal assistance to make either a cease or desist yeah. or to, or to take them to court or something like that, where a black choreographer would not be, you know, a lawyer may not take that, that case or may not see a justification and stuff like that. That's something that I think would, would happen. I hate, I hate to say it. I really do. But I think that that's something that would that that's a that'd be a thing. You'd see more of it mm-hmm. as a legal thing. She'd be getting a cease and desist order and have to stop doing these the, the, that dance. Yeah, uh, that that's very that's a good point. Very interesting. Pete, did you want to add to this before? Well, that's that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, because it wouldn't be a big thing like on TMZ. Like you no. wouldn't see it. You you wouldn't see it plastered all over social media like it was today. Um, but it would probably be maybe a court TV um, type story in a year or two from now. You know, and and that's and it's sad because it's not right either way. It doesn't matter what race you are. If somebody's stealing what you do, it's still it's still theft. And and anybody who tells me that she's not stealing it, well, is she paying for it? No. Is she earning off of it? Yes. Then that's stealing. Like, yeah. you know, it's, 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 you know, there's a lot of things that you could, that you could kind of hover on the line of and say, well, that's not really stealing. But the second you're getting a paycheck for doing something that somebody else did all the hard work for, then that, and you're not giving them any money or any credit for it, then that's stealing, you know? And it, again, it doesn't matter what race you are. Yeah. So for anyone who knows the history of popular music in America, white artists have for generations done very well by in some way appropriating Black artists' music, dance moves, or styles. Here's just a few examples from music. You ain't nothing but a You ain't nothing but a So back in the early days of rock and roll, had these songs not been covered by white artists, they may never have found any success. 
does that make it any better? Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth? Well, I mean, no, it's not better. It's not a better song because a white artist covered it. It's just a more accepted song. Those are still good songs, mm-hmm. one done by black artists. The great songs, even. I mean, the Hound Dog song is the first rock and roll song, like, it truly is. And she's, I mean, it's 60, 70 years too late, but more and more people are acknowledging her, Big Mama Thornton. But like, you know, no, it's it's not. It's it's bad. It's it's you know, <laughs> I can't sum it up better. It's bad. Ian. So I think, especially going back to like fifties and sixties, what you have to think about is that none of the artists were getting paid shit. So you've already got yeah, a white artist is making a black artist music famous. But the white artist is getting a pittance. So what do you think the black artist is getting? It doesn't benefit them at all if a white yeah. artist covers it and makes it famous. I guarantee you their royalties were, if anything, like a penny. So it's it's different now, of course. I mean, if somebody, like, you could even take Pharrell to court for just making a song that sounds like something else, you know, which is a whole other story. But um, back then, you know, you could just, you could rip somebody off and it really mattered because neither were really going to make a buck. Yeah. Pete? Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about like the '50s, there were, I mean, these artists would have never, never seen the light of day if it wasn't for the fact that that, that uh, you know Elvis Presley co- covered them. I mean, Pat Boone must is the biggest prick on the face of the earth because he That's... wrote more more rock and roll songs than any man, any white man in history. Um, and so it was like, yeah, you 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 could say that in a sense. There, you know, if it wasn't for these people, like the the original creators would never be heard of again. Um, that's you know that does still doesn't make it better, and it definitely doesn't. You know, it's a different world we live in now because you couldn't get away with that musically today. Uh, but you know, it, it's not so different. I mean, when you when you look at the argument of well, okay, well, musically now the, 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 there's so many laws and there's so many legalities about how, you know, about what you can get away with musically, about sampling and everything else that you do have to give a lot of credit to people. But we're talking about something that there's never been this issue, the whole choreography thing, but it's the same argument. You know, it's like, you know, here here's somebody appropriating somebody else's culture and using or, or work and, and and putting it out there as their own and getting paid for it. So it's, it's really no different. So over the years, Justin Timberlake, as an example, he's been accused of cultural appropriation. Can one of you on the panel define cultural appropriation? How do you define it? Elizabeth, go ahead. Uh, it's copying another culture, you know, culture's artwork, style, beauty practices, any anything sort of creative like that, or just the, you know, what makes up the culture. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, ignoring where it originally came from, what it originally meant in a lot of cases, because sometimes there's a religious significance to it, depending on where it's from. Um, so taking it, ignoring where it came from and why it existed in the first place, and making it, uh, not making it your, your own, but claiming it as your own with like no acknowledgement of any of those things. Pete, did you want to add something to this? No, no, Elizabeth said it perfectly. So cultural appropriation isn't just exclusively white artists taking from Black culture. A lot of major artists have been accused of appropriating different cultures, including Ariana Grande, who was accused of using makeup to look Asian. 
Kim Kardashian, who has been criticized for wearing cornrows and also for darkening her image in some photos. Katy Perry for dressing like a geisha at the American Music Awards. Beyonce for dressing in traditional Indian clothing for a video. Taylor Swift for perpetrating black stereotypes in her Shake It Off video. And even Miley Cyrus for twerking, which some say is a dance started by black women. This brings up the argument of what is the difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. Can anyone explain the difference? Pete. Well, you know, as far as the cultural appropriation, that's exactly what what Elizabeth said. It's taking somebody else's culture and profiting off of it without really putting it in context of what it is um, or giving any credit or praise to it. Whereas cultural appreciation is kind of like, I mean, the best way to explain it would, you know, from a music standpoint, um, you could say that like the Rolling Stones are, are, are culturally appreciative of, of, of R&B music, blues music, because when they came up, um, they, 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 they from day one, one of, they said that like one of their biggest influences was, uh, was Muddy Waters. And in fact, they recorded with Muddy Waters. And so when they were playing the blues music that they were, they weren't saying, well, this is our sounds. They were, t- they were basically saying, we're, you know, we're, we're giving credit to the people that this came from and we're doing same thing with somebody like the Beatles. The Beatles were another group, you know, that, that did do covers of songs like Twist and Shout, which was an Isley Brothers song. But they, from, from day one, always said that the, uh, the music that they were playing was, was because they grew up on, on, on black radio and black, black music from, from, from the radio. So there was, there was a general sense of we know where this, where this music is from. It's not coming from my head initially. It's coming from someplace that I heard and we're giving it credit. You know? And then if you look at like artists today, like somebody like a Bruno Mars, who strangely enough has been actually accused of, of, of cultural appropriation, but you know, uh, it turns out if you really listen to his music, like you look at uh, his last album, 24 Carat um, Gold, was it 24 Carat Magic? 24 Carat Magic. That album was 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 basically a tribute to 80s R&B. Then, then the uh, the record he just put out now, Leave the Door Open, that's, that's 70s R&B soul. And and he credits all of that in, you know, in, in the, uh, you know, whenever he does interviews. So you're talking about people that, that, that understand that this is not their music they didn't create it um you know but they but they you know have learned from it and they like it and they're doing their own versions of it whereas you could say something like justin timberlake kind of goes the other way with it he does this music he 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 has a a general sense about him that he thinks that like black audiences will accept whatever he says and does without actually giving any credit to the people that, that, you know, that maybe were behind. Like if you look at who Justin Timberlake's music is all produced by predominantly black artists, like, like Pharrell, um, you know, and, and it's like, and, and, but you still don't see like the same level of, of, um, of like understanding of, of where it's coming from, from somebody like him. Mm-hmm. Ian, did you want to say something earlier? You yeah, I think for me, like when I think of cultural appreciation, I think of artists who usually predominantly white and who use their celebrity or their status to champion artists. Um, like, you know, I mean, I can't, I can't get it too deep because I don't really know what kind of payout structure there was, but like Paul Simon doing the Graceland album with Ladies, Ladies with Black Mombazo. Uh, David Byrne is known for doing that with Tropicalia and, you know, bringing a lot of attention to uh, Cuban artists 
so I, for me, that's cultural appreciation because you're not necessarily taking their stuff. You work, you're either working with them and kind of putting the spotlight on them as well. Um, when appropriation is more just like, Hey, I'm doing this music. Uh, really, there's no black people in it, but it's, it's cool. You guys like it, you know, and uh, they don't credit anybody for coming up with it or they don't, you know, they put any black people in their band and you never see anybody other than themselves. It's that's more like, it feels like you're just taking the good stuff and then like everything else is hidden, you know? Yeah. That's how I would define it too. That's pretty spot on. Um, Elizabeth. Yes, it's all it's all devoid of context, and uh, and you know, especially with style and beauty stuff, it also tends the when it becomes appropriation is when it tends to trade more in almost like stereotype kind of things, like the geisha outfit that Katy Perry wore. She also did like this Egyptian themed video for the Black Horse uh, song, you know, the traditional Indian stuff that like Beyonce wore, like. I'm sure they all think it's like nice and pretty, but it's also, it's kind of driving of like, this is what we think these cultures dress like. And maybe traditionally, but so much has changed and it, it all, but it all ties back into like, well, you know, taking uh, like geisha and a lot of like traditional saris and so many things are like deeply significant to those cultures in very different ways. But we think it's just like, it's a co- the costume issue, you know, it's like, Oh, it's a cool costume. It's a cool thing to dress up as. And like, yeah, you can think it's pretty and gorgeous and, and rightfully so because a lot of that stuff is, but if you're wearing it with no meaning or understanding behind it and not acknowledging really like where it came from, why it exists that's you know you're in the appropriation area versus like maybe having something fashion or beauty wise inspired by it but you know changed enough or at least acknowledged like yes I'm wearing a traditional sorry because blah 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 I've been to the country I've talked with people I'm doing I'm promoting I the sorry is from this maker you know that kind of thing yeah uh Pete yeah, I mean, and it's it's interesting because it gets into this weird place of how much do you have to acknowledge, um, you know, and where and where is the appropriate places to acknowledge? Because, you know, like one thing, you know, I didn't even think about this until I started reading it today. But for years, Gwen Stefani, when she was in No Doubt, used to wear the uh, the, the bindi, bindi on her forehead. Yeah. Now she she does she is not uh, you know practicing you know any any form of Indian religion. Um, she just thought it looked good on her forehead. Now, now, does that mean she had to tell people, oh, I know this is a bindi and I understand the uh, the cultural uh, resonance of this? Now, maybe yes, maybe no. I don't really know that. And so you get to that weird place where it's like, you know, how much do we have to address this? And if you address it once, like if she'd said, if one local reporter in in, you know, Kentucky asked her a question about it. She brought, she said, well, oh, this is the, the reason and that's it. Does she then now never have to say, say it again? You know, I mean, or is it just like I said, you know, when, when you know, when, when you see uh, Katy Perry on the American Music Awards or Selena Gomez got in trouble for wearing um, a, a traditional Indian um, outfit on uh, another award show, I think it was a Grammys a few years back. The issue is that at the time and a lot and up until really are praised wearing that though but if a 
Indian woman is wearing a bindi. It's weird. Why is she wearing that? It's strange and bad, but it's okay because this white girl did it. That's the that's where yeah. the problem comes in. Yeah. Um, Ian, did you want to add something? You had your yeah. I just wanted to say um, I don't. I wish I could find a picture. It didn't take me too long. But my when I was a kid, my mom had like the the Bo Derek cornrows. Oh, no. <laughs> I would love to see that. Please I would see photo. if I can dig up a photo, but uh, it's. <laughs> pretty ridiculous yeah i'm sorry danny did you want to add something to this and then we're gonna i just think there's a level of respect that's missing in everything if i were to have a mexican theme party and you show up with a giant sombrero and maracas i'm kicking you out you know because that's just disrespectful Mm -hmm. you know are you serious Um, danny like you'd be offended by that because it's kind of taking it to a comedic level it's a costume you know yeah you're showing up in a costume i have the big mustache you know, <laughs> there's appropriate dress, you know, for stuff like that. You're treating that. it like you a know? joke. You're yeah, treating exactly. this culture like a joke, like a prop, like something that doesn't really matter because I can take it off and throw it aside when I don't want to have it or use it anymore. The other weird thing Gwen Stefani did, by the way, was <laughs> drag around four Japanese women for a few years and yeah. we were all like way too yeah. cool with it. Her Harajuku girl. <laughs> Yeah. That was again. That was going into another culture and this very specific street street style in Tokyo, which to foreign Western white audiences is weird and strange. But then Gwen Stefani does it. Oh my god, it's the coolest fashion thing she could possibly do. And look at her cool accessories, live human beings. Because that happened once at a party. Somebody showed up, you know, um, in just jeans and a t-shirt to a Mexican themed party, but carrying on their shoulders was a bag of oranges. You know, and I'm just like, I mean, it wasn't funny. It was not funny to me. You know, that's 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 taking it a little too far. But I mean, the reality of it is, though, it's like if you know, if you if somebody I knew was having a Mexican theme party, I probably would wear a sombrero, not to be offensive towards anyone else's culture, but because that would be the first thing I would think of putting on if we're going to a Mexican theme. I mean, what do I put on for a Mexican theme party? Do but I are you being Mex- asked to wear a costume party? to this party? Or are you just being asked to come to this Mexican theme party? Well, if it's a Mexican theme party, it's, that's all I know. That's what I, I know have. what I would wear. I would wear a nice shirt, some pants, maybe my favorite sneakers. But that's like, but if we, if we take it to that level, then, then half of the world is is being offensive on St. Patrick's Day. I, I mean, yeah. you know, it's it's like, but it's all a cartoon. Wait, how are, wait, I'm well, I mean, you does some Irish people hate the leprechaun shit? They really do. Yeah, but otherwise, do. how are people being like Irish on St. Patrick's Day? Oh, they're wearing green. Are you saying that Irish people are drunks and they're like appropriating drunkenness? Is that? What yeah, but it's a bad stereotype. If I was going to have a German theme party and you came in later hosen and all, I wouldn't be offended. But if you came dressed as a Nazi. I kick your ass out. Well, I think that that's pretty much the Nazi party. Yeah, I think that's the Germans think it's ridiculous. We were without saying. Only Prince yeah. Harry can do that. Well, yeah, I, I know what you mean with the the Irish. I kick Prince, but... I kick Prince Harry out. Also, that's really weird. But not that. But I don't think it's just half the world really celebrates St. Patrick's Day. It's such an American creation. It's not originally Irish to begin with. It's okay, so really only American. Americans are offending the Irish. I mean, <laughs> we do it all the time. <laughs> the Irish offend themselves. Who cares? I, I, you know, I just think, you know, it's interesting how times have changed. Like, I remember when I went to Morocco about, God, it was like maybe 11, 12 years ago. And my dad, he bought himself one of those Moroccan hats. Oh, the fez? Yeah. 
And then I bought myself like Moroccan slippers. So when we were coming back on the plane, it looked like Morocco threw all up all over us. <laughs> but we would wear, I mean, and I would wear my slippers. And I remember going to Target one day and I was wearing them. And a lady comes up to me and says, oh my gosh, your slippers are so beautiful. They're beautiful shoes. And they're like, where'd you get them? And I said, oh, in Morocco. She's like, oh, are you, for, are you from Morocco? And I said, no, I said, I went on vacation to Morocco. But it's like things that you never thought about back then. You know what I mean? But now, you weren't wearing them to be to. No, I just I I was wearing it because I was you know I was I loved going there. I loved my experience there, and I even had a story about the man who made the shoes. I watched him make the shoes. See, and you didn't pretend though that they were like something you found no, here or something you designed or anything. So you were still, in a way, giving credit where credit was due. Yeah, and I told the lady, you know, I told her the story of how you know they were custom made and whatnot, but. Just, I just remember my dad, because he was a very light-skinned man. Like, he did not look Hispanic at all. And mm-hmm. he, he walked around with that hat. And I'm going, now, if he was doing this now, you know, he would probably be accused. Of yeah, like, like what, do you, what do you do about the Shriners? I was just about to ask what do you do about yeah, the Shriners. Because you the know? Shriners totally, just totally uh, uh, took that. Oh, yeah, I just, again, I, I don't the Shriners know. I mean, the they face? do a lot of good stuff. Don't get me wrong. The Shriners do a lot of really good stuff charity work, things like that, things with kids. But then they've pretty much appropriated the whole kind of Moroccan yeah. Feds yeah. thing and the symbols mm-hmm. and all that. They're pretty sure the telethons, I can tell you that. I just, I, the, whole, and the whole Mexican thing, I, I know I've told you guys this story before, but, you know, one Halloween, I didn't have a costume and my mom was going to let me go trick-or-treating with some friends. And I used to take Mexican folkloric dancing. So I had the skirt, I had the headdress and everything. So my mom's like, just dress like a Mexican. So she put, the, you know, the, she put the dress on. And then my friend who was with me, who was white as hell, she's like, oh, we have one for Jessica, too. So my friend Jessica was like, this total white girl was wearing the whole Mexican dress. I'm walking around wearing like my folkloric dance clothes. And I'm like, mom, this isn't a costume. I am Mexican. She's like, it's a costume. But again, it's like, you know, back then, like we didn't think about these things. And I personally, very little things offend me, to be honest. I mean, you know, but that wouldn't offend me. Like if we had a Mexican theme party and like, you know, Ian, you showed up in a sombrero or whatever. That's like where, you know, daddy and I probably do differ. Like, because I would know that you're not doing it in a disrespectful way. Cause you're my friend. You know what I mean? Does that matter? Like if it's a friend, you know, I, don't it, know. I guess it does yeah. matter in that sense. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an individual thing. But. My aunt actually did uh, the, the folk dancing uh, oh, yeah? years ago here in LA. Yeah. She, just to classes, you know. So yeah. she didn't like wear the costume around and pretend to be Mexican. Yeah, no, my mom's like just a very white blonde lady. <laughs> but she, but you know, it's it was you know she knew people. I think they knew people in the neighborhood. I don't know. It didn't matter. It was just something that she was like, I like and respect the culture and want to take the dance classes. And she had a good time. Awesome. It's great exercise too. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's a workout. Okay, let's move on to our final segment. So yesterday was a big day for geeks. Comic-Con announced an in-person Thanksgiving weekend event in San Diego. And like Joe clarified yesterday, it's not Comic-Con. Disney Plus announced the casting of the new Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And George R.R. Martin announced that he's working on a, on a stage play prequel of Game of Thrones. He thought that we close tonight by uh, talking about each one and deciding which one was the biggest news for geeks. Now, whoa, 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 geeks? 
Yeah, um, means dorks. She means you dorks. Mean nerds. <laughs> nerds. Thank no. you very much. Yeah. Geeks. Oh. Dorks. Did I say oh. geek? Right, you, you, you came to my nerd party dressed as a geek. I'd kick you out. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it not Comic-Con what's happening at Thanksgiving? Please because Comic-Con is next year in July. That's Comic-Con. what's happening at Thanksgiving. This is a, this is a small... Uh, uh, it's made by the same people from Comic-Con, but it's very small. And it's basically there as a test run. It's a test run thing being done in November. Okay. To They're test have all, one of, all of the safety features and all of the new stuff that they got in to try and make the COD safer for next year. But They're it's not have Comic-Con. Hawkeye Comic-Con has gone cool. out and said, this is not Comic-Con. We are, we're, we're, it's made by the same people, <laughs> but Hawkeye don't expect the, the size, the scope, yeah. or anything yeah. like Comic-Con. Okay. I okay. think people are going to be really disappointed if they think it's Comic-Con. <clears throat> mm, okay, so this is one conversation I'm not going to have anything to contribute to, so I'm just going <laughs> to ask the questions. Who wants to talk about the casting of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series? Uh, I mean, the the big deal is that you got Ewan McGregor coming back to play Obi Wan Kenobi again, like he did in the in the uh, <laughs> second set of of, tri- of the trilogy films, and you got Hayden Christensen who played Anakin Skywalker coming yeah. back, and you have uh, uh, God, it's there's a couple of people coming back. Um, Bill freaking Edgerton, is yeah, Joel Edgerton. I forgot is Uncle Owen, back. Uncle Owen, baby. Yeah, gotta watch out for for Aunt Beru though. She was in a fucking cult before this. Oh, you shit. gotta keep an eye on her. <laughs> yeah, so it's I mean it's a big deal because they're basically taking people from from legitimately from the movies now and using them in 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 the film. So I mean that is kind of a big deal. I mean at some point Disney's gonna have to spin off uh, Star Wars <clears throat> from Disney Plus and make them their own uh, their own streaming services because there's going to be just so many of those shows on on the two, on the uh, just on the streaming thing. Now. Will Jar Jar Binks be part of that? We don't know um, yet. I hope not. He's secretly a Sith Lord. If you've read the the conspiracy theory, you know. So I don't know anything about this series, but I do know that Kumal Nanjiani is going to be in it too. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Him. I'm gonna gonna is he still going to be shredded like he is for that other yeah, Disney movie? Probably. Yeah, for the Eternals. Yeah. Yeah. A joke. Uh, also interesting. Sung Kang is in this, and Sung Kang played Han in all of the in a lot of the Fast and Furious movies. But his name in the Fast and Furious movies is Han Soul O. So I don't think he's going to be playing Han Solo in this. It's not but I think Han it's really, Han really good. What? No, that's his name. In, in that's his full name in, in, in Fast and Furious. His name is Han and Seoul as in the, the city in the city South Korea, Seoul. Seoul. And then Dash O. That is his actual name. In Come on, what do you think? You guys are shy. If you watch Fast Five, you can see it. Expecting. If you watch Fast Five and it pops up on the computer, that is his actual name. You feel shocked that, the, uh, that the, the Fast and Furious franchise doesn't have writers that don't have better ideas. <laughs> okay, Joe, I just looked at him. Joe is right. Although, <laughs> although right. it's Fast and Furious. It's an yeah. alias because his real name is Han Lu. No, it's oh, not well, oh, well, He just called you out. Ruined. No, it's it, well. Nerd fight. Nerd fight. <laughs> Did you get that off of Wikipedia? It says Han Lu. Did also you get that off of Wikipedia? By the alias. Oh, Han look at this. Oh, oh. Thank you, Danny. Danny, Danny, did you get off of Wikipedia? Order. Oh, Google. I just Googled. 
Yeah, but what did it pop up on Google or on Wikipedia? I don't have. I'm gonna, well, since I'm a, I'm a Google guy too, so I can go and edit them. Oh my god, we come up for air. <laughs> so well, you guys got to hurry up and finish. Okay, guys, I want to get this. Ian, what about you? Uh, I think I think I'm excited about the Obi Wan thing just because the movies have been such a fucking train wreck that, that like Marvel TV shows, like the Marvel TV shows and the Disney Plus shows are actually saving the franchise. I mean, like. Star Wars has just gone in the shitter. The last trilogy was a mess. So it's good yeah, to see. Yeah, but Mandalorian was fantastic. Mandalorian. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Disney yeah. Plus yeah, is rescuing. It's the best Star, Star Wars, Wars movie since the original three. If you it's put it Mandalorian has saved yeah. Star Wars, you know, and, and Disney Plus is saving Star Wars because they're, uh, they're not doing all this stupid shit to appease people <laughs> in a multi million dollar blockbuster. Uh, is, is it because you can do more over time in a TV show than trying to cram in everything in like a oh, two yeah. and a half hour, three movie, yeah, three hour like, movie. If you're really fucking pushing and it's it, also that, way too much fan movie. service in the movies. Way. Yeah. Yeah, you you could build characters better. I mean, yeah, it's like, it's like the whole Zack Snyder uh, justice league. If you have four hours to play with something, you could really build a character if you have decent writing behind it. So, uh, you know, so yeah, it's the same yeah. thing with that. I mean, they, they, they were smart when they, when they, uh, did what they did with Mandalorian, and, and they got people that loved the the original movies to make it, and that's and I think yeah. that's what. And really I have to say, same thing for WandaVision because like, yeah, I was sort of like whatever about her in the movies. I was like, she's got pretty like bishop powers, but whatever, she doesn't really seem to use them or like get to use them, and I don't know much about her, and and I don't read the comics, so I'm only I only have the movies to work with for her character building. And then they put together this beautiful show that made me tear up at the end. And I was like, I get her so much more now. I can't wait for more of her. This is beautiful. I love it. So I also forgot to mention that George R.R. R. Martin also signed a five-year contract with HBO to create new content as well. So what's the deal with this play, the prequel of Game of Thrones? Anybody want to add anything to that? The books. I mean, I don't know the details on the play, Um I think he. I think he doesn't want to finish the books now because he tank. They tanked the show so fucking bad, uh, and he he told them the general like outline. As far as I understand, he told them like this is this is where I, I see it ending. And the books differ a lot. There's a lot of things that are different, but the overall like kind of large chess pieces are like here's where they're gonna go. And they went, okay, sounds good. How about we absolutely fuck that up so we can try to go make a Star Wars? Except, oh no, we did so bad with Game of Thrones, they took away our Star Wars. And they took away that show we were going to make about the Confederacy. Maybe we're not very good writers and showrunners, guys. I don't know. Meanwhile, George, he's back George, there. George, if, if, Danny, if Danny were at a Starbucks, what would be her order? <laughs> Meanwhile, George R. R. Martin's watching that shit play out like, oh man, man, no one is gonna be even remotely happy with what I do. So I should just put this off till I fucking die. See, I, I have a whole different take on it. I think that the US government went to George R. R. Martin and said, listen, the two groups of people who are least likely to ever have sex are guys who cosplay Game of Thrones and theater nerds. And let's see if we can find a way to put the ball in the room together and then and make your kids. Shut up. No, if there was a hot dude who was like cosplaying like John Snow or like Ned Stark, Jamie Lannister. Those guys get tons of play down in San Diego, man. Tons of play. I know what you're talking about. dropper. Yeah. Yeah, that's easy money. Now, that guy cosplaying Clayface. 
They're going to work like, a little. Yeah, like the, the guy but, dressed up as a fucking dragon is not getting laid tomorrow. I hate to tell you. Spirit. Oh, I'm oh, sorry. Have you not heard of furries, Peter? Yeah, they're all over the place. <laughs> you know what is he, he is? Is, he, is his body airbrushed as a dragon? Because that's a whole different story. <laughs> there you <laughs> he's going to be getting some. Yeah, he's going to be getting some. <laughs> So my final question tonight is, which of these is the most exciting news for you? Pete, oh, let's Star start Wars. with you. Star, Star Wars. Wars. Joe, what about you? Well, isn't it a great time to be a nerd, though? Because what else are we getting? Suicide Squad with James Gunn. That trailer looked yeah. fantastic. Yes. We got Godzilla versus Kong coming out tomorrow. Oh, That's sure, going to be really. great. We've got we've got Black Widow coming out. Listen, after the after the long drought we've had last year, nerds, it's a great time to be a nerd. So I'm excited for all of it. I really am. I hope George R.R. R. Martin's is a musical, but hey, uh, I'm excited for all of it. And, and we're going to talk about Godzilla tomorrow. Um, so just I'm putting oh. these are out there. Oh, oh there you go. It's a preview for tomorrow. Right. Godzilla vs. Kong, two not in. Walk in the park. Listen to us. <laughs> Which one are you um, I think I'm most excited for Star Wars. Uh, as I have unfortunately no attention of going to the the faux comic-con and over thanksgiving because it's thanksgiving i'm not gonna do that and i'm not going in public like that are you fucking crazy i went to one and i was like ah, this is a lot and i was working so i didn't even like just go with the flow of people it was, it was a lot no wonder we got a fucking plague man <laughs> um so yeah i'm gonna go with star wars but like i said keep your fucking eyes on aunt Beru. that bitch got in a cult before <laughs> danny what about you Survivor 41. <laughs> there you go. Oh, wait, that's not a choice? <laughs> I would say Game of Thrones. Back to Vanuatu. Yeah. Although, by the way, we've all been fooled by you. Suicide Squad trailer before, but I have a lot of trust in James Gunn. So. Starro, I have a lot of trust baby. in James Starro, Gunn. come on. Danny, does the winner of Survivor get a Pontiac Aztec again, or is that like off the table now? <laughs> <laughs> not sure, but they're actually <laughs> filming like in Fiji, not Vanuatu. Somebody's culture, so they gotta get another car. The Pontiac Aztec. Yeah, <laughs> and finally, Ian, what are you most excited uh, about? So let's see. Uh, not interested in Comic Con because I value my olfactory nerves. Uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones burned me. I'm over it. Uh, yeah. It's got to be. It's got to be Obi Wan. Just as long as he says, "Oh, hello there." Then hello? Yeah, as long as he says, "Hello." Once. That's what I want. That's what I want. <laughs> I like seeing all the, I did like, uh, I do love TikTok and I, I will fall down TikTok rabbit holes, but they, they're like super cuts of bits of his dialogue and people like do costume stuff. But I, uh, during the election, a lot of people were using the line where he's like, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy. <laughs> that, guy, that was getting me fired up. I was like, yeah. seems- he will have the high ground in every episode. That's right. <laughs> there was a funny, like, oh, I just saw one where it was like, I have this, this, and this, and what do you have? And then the, and it was a girl, and she went and stood on a chair with a lightsaber and yelled, I have the high ground. Yeah. <laughs> and Veronica, what are you excited for? Um, none <laughs> this <of> conversation <laughs> ends. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for Handmaid's Tale coming out April 28th. <laughs> I the trailer looked good, but I... Did you see the trailer? <laughs> haven't watched the third season because I got too stressed out. Don't worry, everybody. Long. Spectrum, Spectrum Pensus. is coming. Don't worry. <laughs> Spectrum is on the way. <laughs> oh, oh, can I frozen? <laughs> Was I frozen? Yeah, yeah. No, we'll talk. <laughs> <about>. oh. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> so that's what I'm excited about. <laughs> so that's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll see you back here again tomorrow at 6 p.m. Have a good night, anyone, everyone, and stay safe. <laughs> anyone. Good night, anyone. Good night, I'm, good night, I'm tired. I'm tired today. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>